Hello and welcome back to Holding Space Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Cassidy, and I am back from podcast sabbatical, or at least that's what I've been calling it. I took the last few months to take a break from the podcast while I teach two courses over at the university here that I teach at in San Diego. And I'm also building up some e-courses and seeing clients, and I just needed to create some space in my life. And so I took a little break from the podcast, but I am excited to be back uh, with a few more episodes. And another exciting piece is that today's podcast has its first sponsor. So today's podcast episode is sponsored by Fusion Academy. Fusion is a revolutionary new way to school for children and kids who are having a difficult time for a variety of reasons in a traditional school setting. They have a one-to-one structure and format. Um, One of the cool things about Fusion is it has a special place in my heart because my husband was actually one of the first students who received tutoring from the founder of Fusion Academy back in the day when it all took place, I believe, in her garage, and it was more of a tutoring center, and now it is a school. Fusion has built a community of over 50 campuses that empower students to become better humans in the world through personalized connection and engaged learning. You can learn more about Fusion Academy at www.fusionacademy.com. So now, jumping into today's episode, I am so excited to share with all of you my good friend, Ashley Neese. Ashley is a breathwork coach and author of the book, How to Breathe. Ashley and I had actually planned on recording an episode about um, about a year ago. So back in July, we were talking about recording an episode, and I got an email from Ashley that was a beautiful email representing her need to set a boundary and her need to create space and that she would not be able to record at that time. And I talked to her a little bit about this and got her permission to actually share this email with all of you. And the reason I'm sharing it is because my hope is that maybe one of you who are listening to this episode who maybe need to create some space in your life and maybe need to say no to some things um, because of the current season you are in your life, that you give yourself permission to do so. And this email is a beautiful model and example of how to do that. So Ashley said in her email, Hi Cassidy, I hope this finds you well. I am still deep in the throes of book editing and having just started my third trimester, have decided that the best thing for me, this babe in our family, is to take much of August and all of September off for early maternity leave. Our babe is due October 4th, but I have a feeling they are coming a bit earlier. I am completely honored that you have asked me to be on your podcast, and I so want to do the interview with you, but I need to put it on hold until the new year. I've been taking a long and deep look at how much I've been working, and it's humbling to say the least. I love what I do so much, the classes, clients, conferences, etc., but the amount of work I have on my plate isn't leaving me with the amount of space I'm craving to do more of the inner work I want to do before this babe arrives. I'm in a place of needing to pull back, edit, and refine my expectations of myself. It's such a wild and beautiful and tender initiation. I've closed my practice to new clients, and I'm wrapping up with my ongoing clients over the next few weeks until I'm ready to step into that seat again. 
I am moving many of my classes into the digital realm so that I can generate income using less energy. And my partner and I are in deep with couples therapy, reestablishing some essential pieces for ourselves and this new babe. All this to say that I would still love to be part of your podcast. We've been listening to it over here and love it. I just need to circle back with you after the babe arrives and our family is well established in our new rhythm. She goes on, but I wanted to just share that piece with you. And my hope is that if you're listening to this and there's something that you've said yes to that you need to pull back from, that maybe this can give you an example of how to do that in a way that is honoring that relationship, um, but also honoring yourself. I am so excited to share Ashley's story with all of you. In this episode, we talk a little bit about how she came to do this work as well as the role that breath can take in the context of um, you know, some traumatic experiences like grief and loss, but also in the simple moments of things like parenting. I'm happy to be back. I'm happy to be back here in this podcast space with Ashley, and I hope you all enjoy the episode. You're listening to Holding Space Podcast with Dr. Cassidy Freitas, licensed marriage and family therapist. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. Now, let's jump in. Hello, Ashley. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and being my first person back um, to have a conversation with for the podcast, starting you know from my podcast sabbatical. Thank you so much for having me, Cassidy. It's such an honor. Well, well, I first met you, Ashley, at the True Botanicals uh, event weekend um, that I spent with them a few years ago. How, was it like, was it two years ago? Yeah, almost two years exactly. It was this summer, it'll be two years. Yes. Okay. So I that was when, and I had heard about your work before that, um, but that was my first chance really you know, meeting you in person. And getting an opportunity to do some breath work uh, under your sort of guidance. And I have to say that I went in sort of unsure what to expect. And I, I did this, I did the breath work class with my good friend, Taylor Sterling. And I just remember afterwards, like processing it with her. It was such a profound experience and really transformed my own understanding of the power of breath and what breath is capable of. Um, a little context, I went into that weekend or that that experience um, still in the process of, of, I was grieving. I had uh, lost a friend to cancer and I was holding a lot of grief um, in my heart and in my body at that time. And I remember during the breath work, all of that was kind of coming up for me. And I had such an intense physical response to the breath work. I mean, I remember by the end, it was like my hands, I couldn't even move my hands. They felt sort of like they were literally like felt full with like energy, but I couldn't move them. And I remember being sort of shocked and uncertain of how to how to feel about that um but then you and I got a chance to talk a little bit so I'm just curious to hear from you about the power of breath and about ways in which breath can move 
move things in our body and that we can actually have these physiological responses to the simple act of breathing. Thank you for sharing that. And I didn't know until recently that you kind of came to that weekend with that grief and going through that process. And it's, I always say that it's kind of no accident what situations we end up in and like who we're meeting. And it's all like, there's always some kind of force at work. And so I'm really glad that you got to to be there at that time in your life. It seems like it was really um, meaningful and important for you. And it so, was. It really yeah. Was. And to just, to even to know that now, I just feel so honored. Um, so thank you for sharing that. And yeah, you know, what I say in the book, and this is what I talk about a lot, is just that breath is really our foundation for life, right? So there's yeah. a lot of things that we can live without and breath is not one of them. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's, so there's that piece, which is just, it's, it's an essential component to like how we live and it's vital. It's, it's necessary. And then there's also this aspect where that the breath is inherently very spiritual. So it's, mm-hmm. to me, that's what's so interesting about it. Cause it lives in this like very science kind of physiological grounded place and it also lives in this place that is more a kind of out in the ethers this like cosmic place and all of those things are kind of happening at the same time and what I loved when I was you know really researching for the book and kind of pulling in different pieces and looking at how different cultures all around the world have some kind of word for describing spirit and so much of it is connected to the breath so there's so many ways that you know all different like just from all different areas of the planet, people are talking about really what we're talking about here, which is using the breath as a tool to connect to your body. And ultimately that's that's the work that I do. It's just helping people and giving them an invitation to kind of go inside, to get quiet, to feel what's happening. And the breath is that invitation. It's that little opening to be able to do that. So if you ask, you know, people always ask me like, what does it mean to be in your body or how do you get in your body? It's like, we don't even have to like, make it super complicated. I'm like, just how are you breathing right now? What do you notice about your breath right now? Just that simple inquiry takes you in. And that entryway, as you know, from the work that you do too, it's like anytime you give someone just a little bit of a window, it's amazing how much more is there and how much more can be discovered. And, you know, what I also love about the breath is a physiological process. It's something that we do um, involuntarily all the time right? So when we're sleeping, we're breathing, our bodies have to have oxygen to survive, but it's also a a physiological process that we can work with and that we can um, bring awareness to and bring mindfulness of and change and shift. Uh, There's so much research out there now that talks about, you know, the brain gut connection. I'm sure you know all about this from the work that you do. And there's also a lot of research and studies that have been done on emotions and the breath and how they are intertwined. And I'm sure you've had this experience when you've been, or anyone who's listening, when you're upset or angry or stressed or anxious, certain things will happen with your physiology, right? And within that physiological picture, something's happening with your breath. For most people, when they're stressed, angry, super anxious, the breath is going to get really tight, really constricted. It might feel difficult to take a breath. It might also feel challenging to take a deep breath. And then on the flip side, when we're feeling relaxed, when we're feeling open, when we're feeling kind of joyful, the breath reflects that as well. It's going to feel more full. It's going to feel more free. There's going to be more oxygen coming into the body. So what's powerful about the breath is it's this really interesting tool to work with because on the one hand, we know that we can 
go in. There's all, and you know, there's tons of research on this as well. It's like kind of the power of how we think and the power of our mind. And, you know, we can kind of go inside and think of a joyful experience and kind of cultivate that joy within. And what will happen is we'll have a physiological response when we start to think about an experience that we had recently where we were joyful, our body will respond to that. Just like if we think about an experience that we had recently where we were frustrated, our body will respond. And what's cool about the breath is taking those kind of thoughts and like putting those experiences aside, we can just start to change our state just by changing our rate of respiration. So next time we're angry, instead of going, oh, now I have to put myself in a joyful place, just take a deeper breath. Oh, yeah. And there's, okay, there's so much in what you just said that I wanted to unpack. Um, So one of the pieces that you mentioned was this window and this sort of gateway. Um, And I think, at least speaking to my experience in taking your breathwork class, you know, I knew that I was grieving and I knew that there were things there. Um, I didn't realize, though, that that there was a deep, that there was, there were deeper feelings, that there was a deeper experience that I was blocking myself from and just tuning in to my body and taking that moment to slow down and give myself the opportunity to open, to open that gate, right. And to open that window. I mean, there was, a <laughs> there was a lot that came in there that, that came up. Um, and, and it was in the, and then the physiology of it, the fact that I literally felt it physically in my body. I mean, I, I recall at the end, um, like I, like I mentioned, my hands felt heavy and like it was hard to move them. Like almost like all this energy had moved into like my extremities. And it was just, it was just such a, an indicator of how connected our hearts and our minds and our experiences are to our, our physiology and our bodies and our experiences that we have in our bodies. Um, And I'll often tell this to clients that, you know, like, let's say I'm working with a couple and they're, um, you know, they're, they're just walking around the house with each other. And then there's a shift that, that one or both feels physio, you know, physiologically. Um, so like a tension or a pit in their stomach. Um, and oftentimes if we're able to attune to that physiological response, like our body will be one of the first, like our body will be the first indicator that something is being triggered and something is there. And sometimes it goes, it happens out of our full awareness. And then our partner says something and we respond in a really triggered way, um, not really even fully comprehending where that came from. But our bodies, if we are mindful of it and we slow down enough to attune to it, often give us that clue ahead of time that like, hey, there's something going on here. Um, and being able to tune into that and turn inward in that way and to be mindful and aware is such a powerful tool. And you're so right that breath and how, how our breath has changed or shifted or what the, what the quality of the breath is and, or where it's landing, there's so much data and information in that. Yeah, that's 100% right. And I'm really... Yeah, I just appreciated the way that you are unpacking this and the way that you're talking about it because it's such a huge, huge piece. I always say that our bodies are these barometers for what's happening, for our energetic landscape, for our emotional landscape. And like you said, our bodies are going to register things before we're going to have some kind of sensation in the body before that becomes a cognitive thought. 
right? Yeah. So this is all happening in the limbic system. Like we are, we're having an experience and then the mind comes online and it's like, oh, I'm angry or, oh, I'm upset or whatever, you know, the narration of that is or the telling of that. And what's, what's fascinating is that all that happens in our, in our body, that process happens so fast. And most of us are so used to kind of operating from a headspace and operating out of our mind that we're, we're unaware of all the subtleties and all the different ways that our body is that barometer. And for those of you who are listening, who are anything like me, like I grew up very, very sensitive and very attuned and very aware and very overwhelmed. (laughs) So overwhelmed with all the things that I was feeling and and couple that with having a family that was like, don't feel feelings are bad, stuff your feelings. It was like, whoa, like a lot of messaging there and a lot of programming there that was, I've been unraveling that and unwinding that for the better part of the last 18 years, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. There's, no, there's I, what I you're saying you're saying. In that. Yeah. Yeah. I love what you're saying here. And I love, thank you for being able to share some of your own context with all this, right? Because you said a few words. You said sensitive, and then you then you also said the word overwhelmed, and then you also sort of followed it up with like a message that like that that's not okay, right? Yeah. That it's not okay to be sensitive. It's not okay to feel all those things. And and when we're not given, and many of us have weren't given sort of the tools for when I am feeling all these things or feeling um, emotional or all these emotions are sensitive to the things around me, what do I do with that? And if we aren't really given tools for how to process and, and regulate and then respond, then we just feel like, well, maybe uh, there's something wrong with me at my core, or we just get left with a feeling of overwhelm. And so what I imagine, I, I imagine that that experience for you, and tell me if I'm wrong, probably led to why you do the work that you do, <laughs> is my guess. Yeah. Well, at first it led me down a pretty dark path when I was young. It led me straight into like really looking for that, what we call, like when we use the word regulate. So really looking for like nervous system regulation, really looking for emotional regulation, looking for grounding, looking for just something to kind of help me anchor. And because there weren't any real anchors in my life, um, I, you know, went down the path of uh, just numbing myself with drugs yeah. and alcohol really early because it was, it really worked. You know, it got to a point like I had like hit my threshold for kind of what I could manage and yeah. then I couldn't manage it anymore. I was like, I cannot manage the overwhelm. I can't manage the anxiety, the just feeling so scared of everyone. I mean, I just remember being young and just so terrified of people like my classmates. And so it just, it was really, really difficult. And, you know, finding the drinking and the, you know, the alcohol, like the alcohol and drugs was really helpful for me then because it was like, oh, if I just use these substances and drink the stuff, then I won't have to feel so insecure and I won't have to be like so worried about all these other things. And once I got sober, then yeah, it led me to where I am now, which is like, okay, there's a way to actually be able to regulate. There's a way to find my ground and centered and be, be anchored and not, and not numb out. Right. And, and this is something, and, and what's beautiful about breath is this is something that we can control, right? Or that we can sort of have, we, we're doing it all the time. We're doing it anyway. So why not do it with purpose and intention um, versus what often, and you're definitely not alone in this, right? As somebody who 
feels everything so deeply and intensely and is sensitive to all the things that are happening around them without knowing what to do with all that and then to turn to something that that numbs it right something outside of you that numbs it um and you know for that can be drugs and alcohol for some that's to some people that can be shopping social media scrolling sex um you know, and so you know, it's like the the S's: substances, sex, social media, and shopping. I mean, there's others, but those seem to be some of the big ways in which we numb out. Um, and the wild thing about breath is, it's calling for the opposite. It's calling for more intensity of of attunement to what you're experiencing, um, but in a way like you're describing that can be actually very regulating. Yeah, it can be. And it, it, you're exactly right. It is calling for that. And it's asking us to go more inside right? and sit with ourselves more and feel more and be more conscious, more present, more attuned and more grounded. And that's ultimately one of the reasons that I love it is it's, like you said, it's this process that we're doing, you know, all day long. And sometimes with more kind of effectiveness than other times. And the beautiful thing is it's so, it's, it's part of our biology. It's part of our chemistry. It's part of our emotional landscape. It's part of how we regulate our energy. I mean, it's so multifaceted and it's, it's always with us. And like you said, it's not this outside thing. It's not like go take this class and, or go get this, have this drink or go buy this thing and then you'll feel better. It's like, oh, I can just actually be with myself in a way that is you know, it's active. It's not, you know, it's not a passive thing to be mindfully paying attention to your breath. It is, there's an engagement there that's really important, Um, but it's always with you. It's always with you. So Ashley, I I know that you recently gave birth to your book, um, How to Breathe, and you also gave birth to a child. (laughs) So you had a lot going on over the past year. And I shared a little bit about this um, before we started recording. Um, so folks have already received some of this context of you and I had initially planned to record this a while back and you sent me a beautiful email and such a beautiful, within that email, a beautiful representation of being able to say, to set a boundary and say, not right now. I can't, I, I, I deserve space in my life to to attune to some of these other things um and so we 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 postponed it and now probably like a year later we're we're you know we're getting a chance to record this but it was it was such a beautiful email and i've i've shared pieces of it already with um with those who are listening and so i'm curious to hear from you in becoming a mother right which starts doesn't just start once your baby is born, but starts during pregnancy. Um, you know, becoming a mother, how has that sort of, how have you navigated that? How has that shifted things within you in terms of, I'm, I'm thinking about things like boundaries and being able to slow down, being able to say no, being able to create space in your life. How has that shifted things for you? It's shifted things in so many ways. And just like you've said, it definitely started with my pregnancy. And to be honest, it started probably six months before I got pregnant when I started changing my diet up and going to acupuncture more and really spending time. I spent those six months before conception 
really taking care of myself in a different way. So just really focusing on my fertility and focusing on kind of getting my body ready because I knew once I got pregnant and, you know, it's like you're, everything just changes. And I wanted to be in like a, um, I wanted to be in a particular place, like physically yeah. just so that I could, you know, feel like I could endure it. Cause it's, it's an endurance, you know, nine months is a lot. And then for some of us like me, I've had, had a very intense labor and then there's a lot of recovery afterwards. Like it's very physically demanding, not to mention emotionally and energetically and all the other things, but just from that physiological perspective, I spent those six months just kind of gearing up and there were already these little seeds that were being planted around like, oh, I am reorienting myself towards something else, right? Towards taking care of this child who I've never met and, you know, having this baby and it's already becoming part of my life. And I'm already having to kind of look at like my energetic output, for example, and just see, oh, what needs to shift? If I'm used to operating at a 10, already just doing my fertility process, I have to kick it down to an eight or a seven. And then once the pregnancy got here, it was like, I kind of went down to a two because that first trimester, I was so sick. I couldn't do anything. Oh my gosh. That first trimester is such a humbling (laughs) experience, especially for, you know, for many of us who are like achievement oriented and like hustling and like just, it just knocks you on your butt. And I was so, I, I know personally that first, that for my first child, I was so, that was so unexpected and I was so thrown off by it. And there were just a lot of messages I received that made me feel like I should have more grit. I should have more energy. I should be able to, like, this is just the first trimester. Just wait, you know, I don't know. There was a lot of messaging that, that that wasn't okay, that I, that I need, that I really needed to rest. Um, but yeah, no, it knocks you on your butt for sure. <laughs> It really does. And there is that. There's there's so much of this, what I call uh, the cultural imprint. And there's so many different cultural imprints, but talking specifically about the cultural imprint around motherhood and parent, I mean, just parenthood in general, but especially for those who are, um, you know, carrying the child, who whatever parent that is, it's really... Yeah, it requires so much of you in all these different ways. And the met the cultural message was like, just do it all, just do it all. Like, don't stop, keep going, keep going. And and then on top of that, we're like inundated with all these messages from social media of all these people who are quote unquote seemingly doing it all, even though it's like, mm. you know, in the back of your mind, that's only a highlight reel. Like that's not actually yeah. what's happening. But it's yeah. hard when you're in that moment, you're just kind of going, Well, like the cultural tells me to do this. And it's seeming like all these other people are doing this. Like, is there, is there something wrong with me? Like, why am I as sick as I am? Like, why is this happening? Mm -hmm. And then I got through, I got through all that to this other side where I was like, well, I have to just reorganize my life right now. And what was really interesting was I found out I was pregnant. And then two weeks later, I signed my book deal. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I started being, it's always that thing like, be careful what you wish for. And yeah. I, I'm a super powerful manifester. January 1st of 2018, I was like, new year, new me. I'm going to get pregnant this year and I'm going to write my book. Literally had no idea what I was asking for. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it happened within two, but I didn't specify to the universe like, okay, this needs to yeah. happen at this time. Like I didn't give dates. I just said this year, super Aquarian, just all, you know, general uh-huh. Aquarian. Yeah. Anyway, so they all. And the they universe have, is like, here you go. Yeah. Now, now work through this one <laughs> or these multiple things all at once. <laughs> well, and it's we're always. I feel like for me, at least, I'm always given like the lessons, and I'm always given these opportunities to yeah. to 
to learn so many things about myself. And so that first trimester, I was so sick and um, I had um, I had the first uh, draft of my book due like right at the beginning of my second trimester. So that first trimester, I had to write oh, wow. the book. And meanwhile, as you know, because you work with clients, I had a full client roster and I had, yeah. you know, teaching schedules and I had, you know, articles that were due. And I basically just had to write every editor and aside from my book editor and all of my clients, these emails. And I was like, I'm so sorry. I was canceling trips. I was kind of shifting schedules. I was yeah. like, I'm going to pick back up in the summer. And it was just, I just had to do it. And I was so scared. <sighs> I was afraid of losing my practice and looking like looking incompetent or seeming incompetent. And, um, it was, it was scary. It was, I was, you know, just sitting with those feelings and especially as someone who works for themselves and, you know, there's that real fear of like, Oh, if I tell my clients I can't show up because I'm nauseous and sick, they're going to be like, Oh my God, she doesn't have it together. Like I don't want to work with her anymore. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And when you work for yourself, you're an entrepreneur, like all of it's on you, you know, that's how, yeah, that's how it feels. That's the experience. If you had the experiences, it felt, it felt like a lot. And, um, just, it was, it felt really heavy. And so I just, but I recognized too, I was like, I can't, the thing is with this work and the work that I do, I have to, I really have to walk the walk. And if I'm, showing up and I'm sick and I'm like, you know, only 10% present for my clients. Like that's not a way to show up either. And I knew deep down that, you know, what I needed to do was to just let everybody know, Hey, I'm going through something and got to write this book and I'm so sorry, but I'm going to have to just push everybody. Cause you know, this is the yeah. space that I'm in right now. And every single one of my clients, every editor, every like class that I was supposed to teach, just everybody responded with so much kindness, so much generosity, like mm-hmm. so much understanding. And I just thought, like I just, I have created such an amazing community and this is really what the work is about. And when you're in the role of, there's so much to talking about this cultural imprints when you're at, in the role of a teacher, it's like you're expected to, oh, and by yeah. our cultural standards, like kind of be this superhuman. And, and I, but I ultimately, I think that it actually is really superhuman to talk about what's really going on. And be like, you know what? I need to rest for the next two months and just work on my book and just work on growing this baby. Like that's all I can do. That's yeah. it. Yeah. And, that, and that is a lot. And that is beautiful. No, but I remember one of the first things I thought when I got that email from you and was that, wow, like really genuinely was, wow, she really it does walk the walk. Like, you know, like she, this is such a beautiful representation of how I am at, like the work that you're doing, right? Of asking people and calling for people to take that pause and to take that space. And I was like, she lives it, you know? And so, and, and, and it's, it's also really helpful to hear that behind all of that, there was fear, right? Because you are, you're human and you, you're so right in this cultural imprint of teachers and um, counselors in any way, like what, what, what we're supposed to be capable of. And like, I remember last semester I was teaching a class and I got the, I caught the flu and I canceled, I canceled one class because I literally couldn't get out of bed. And the flu ended up turning into pneumonia. I didn't know it at the time, but I went to class the next week, even though I could barely speak and I was so sick. And after that class, just from being up there for so long and using my voice, and I drove straight to urgent care because I didn't, I knew that I was not okay. And uh, you know, sure enough, they took X-rays and I had pneumonia. 
And I just, like, I remember the doctor being like, you, you went to work today? Like, what? But I was just in my mind, it was like, I have to show up. Like, even though, like, there are other options, like, I could ask somebody else to come in and step in, right? Like, but just none of those options felt like they were okay. Like, for me, it was like, I have to show up because I'm the teacher. Um, Even in my work, my, you know, in my clinical work, in my practice, it's like, I have to show up, you know, because that that's what that's my job like that's what I was put on the earth to do but I think that sometimes that mentality it just keeps us stuck and then we're not living the life that we're encouraging our clients to walk right like and if we can't do it ourselves how in the world are we going to be able to to support others in doing it for themselves that's 100% how I feel too and I can't I don't, I can't even count because it's too many to count, but just how many of my clients after kind of witnessing me go through that and witnessing me just be, you know, what I call superhuman and say, Hey, this is what's happening. This is what I need to do for myself. Like you were saying in the beginning, it's that permission. They all went, Oh, this is an option. There's another option. Like I have a choice now. Next time I just am, you know, energetically tapped out or I'm sick or whatever the case may be. And you know, I need to just take a minute. I need to take a beat. I need to take a day off. I need to do whatever the thing is I need to do to recharge and rest and reset myself so that I can show up. It's like, yeah, yeah, it's okay to do that. And it's actually so welcome because there's so few people modeling that. It's so true. And I wonder, you know, while, while I have you here and because I know that there's Quite a few of the audience members for this podcast specifically are uh, parents, mothers, or fathers. What what are what are some ways in which breath can show up in the context of the life of a parent? Um, in sort of and, and maybe that's the breath is calling for the pause or the space between stimulus and response, or the slowing down or the attunement to our experiences, um, but. Just what are some ways that that folks who are listening can begin to connect with breath in the context of parenting? So a big one for me, especially with a six and a half month old, has been just continuing to kind of deepen and refine my ability to regulate myself and keep myself just at an even keel. And I was just talking to a woman about this yesterday and I was talking to her about you know, some of the anxieties I was experiencing the first couple of months postpartum. And she was like, it's so good to hear you talk that like you still go through periods where you have anxiety. And I'm like, yep, I do. I know (laughs) it's so part of the human experience. It's like, I'm a new mom. I, you know, my son and I had a really beautiful and and connected and also really intense, Mm -hmm. you know, labor. Like his journey here was challenging for so many reasons. And we were both exhausted and, you know, we're navigating just so many things, the sleep deprivation and like, what am I doing? Am I doing okay? I don't even like know who I am right now. So there's just, you're navigating, you know, all this, but as new parents, we're navigating so much and to be able to come to my breath and just have it as a place to find my way back, especially in those moments where it's like, like how many hours have I been awake? Like what's going on? No. Like how can I help this being? How can I um, show up with as much like consciousness and awareness as as possible? 
in those states that are in, in those moments that are really difficult um, and in the moments that are really joyful so that I can like hang on to them and remember mm-hmm. them and like Fully really treasure them. them. Yeah. You know? <laughs> totally. Like, and so what does this look like? Like, does this look like in real time? Does this look like you in those moments when you notice, because your body will tell you that there is something going on, whether it's um, a sense of anxiety or a sense of overwhelm or a sense of frustration or even a sense of joy. Um, in that moment when your body starts to show that to you through the physiology, right, physiological responses, do you then just say, do you, do you literally say to yourself, like, okay, come to back to my breath and like notice my breath? Um, just be curious about my breath, right? Come back to that and sort of use that as your like home base for then from that space being because that allows you to slow down from there, you're able to sort of explore context or you're able to sort of be curious about what what is triggering me right now or you're able to fully be in the present moment of that joyful moment. Is that kind of what you're speaking to? Exactly, that's it. And in those moments, I had a lot of these like the first five months and it's just shifted a lot now because I feel like I've actually gotten a little bit better at it. Um, but like with Solomon, with my son, for example, helping him fall asleep, you know, and little ones, when they get here, they don't have, have a way to regulate themselves. They don't mm. have any melatonin. They're just like kind of up around the clock. And in those moments, I holding him and rocking him and just when I would notice myself starting to get anxious, I would just literally just say exhale and I would just start focusing on my exhale. And then I would say, okay, Ashley, like find your feet and where your feet. And I would just press one foot down and then press the other foot down Mm. and then, okay, exhale again. And just like a lot of grounding, a lot of just kind of getting my nervous system like down, like drop more into that parasympathetic state and really dropping my energy down. So a lot of it was just really focusing on the exhale. And then these days it's it's similar it's less about like the exhale it's more just about okay where's my breath let me let me come back to center and oftentimes i will just take just about five breaths just like five rounds inhale exhale five times come back and i'll do it with my son while i'm holding him like in in a moment when He's like, you know, just sitting. Like he's just started sitting up, which is so fun as a new parent. You're like, oh my god, you can sit, and like he's not just like wobbling all over the place. He's like really holding himself up, yeah. and I'll just sit and look at him and breathe, mm-hmm. and yeah. just take it in. Yeah, yeah. You know, I I I note I've noticed for a while that even in my own practice, if I'm sitting with clients, and if they're is a, if there's overwhelm is showing up in the space, like if I take, and this kind of just speaks to the mirror neurons, right? And the ways in which we are connected as humans. But if I, if I'm holding my breath and I notice that it's probably a reflection of where my client is, right? So if I just take a moment to breathe and to slow down my breath, it's pretty wild how that the person I'm sitting with can almost mirror that or reflect that. Um, and I think the same thing goes for our children. So you doing that while you're holding your son or sitting with him, right, is a, it's it's going to model to him like what that looks like. And because of our physiology and the incredible ways in which we are connected as humans, like from just like a mirror neuron standpoint, right, like he may start to do the same thing just sort of as he's observing it in you or in that space with you. 
that's that's how it's been feeling, and that's what a lot of the research that I've been doing now too. On now that I'm such a researcher at heart, that's what I just love, like learning about. <laughs> it's been so fun just talking. Like this whole conversation has been so fun because I'm learning so much, and I'm, you know, we're getting to just have this deep dive. But one of the things that I've been really paying attention to is how. And not only in my research, but how I am with him and just really working on that like self-regulation piece, because like you said, it's the mirroring aspect. And the thing is when like he's, when his sympathetic nervous system, when he's like in an upcharge and he's, you know, wailing and having a moment and like dysregulated and, you know, overwhelmed or whatever the case may be for him in that moment, tired, you know, all the things that little ones go through. It's like, I can easily, my system will easily just try to match his. And I'm like, okay, let's get up there. Let's get up there. And then I get up there and I'm oh my God, we're both up here now. Like who's going to get us down? You know? And it's like, oh, right. I'm the parent. I got to get us down. And so then I do my breath and I'm grounding myself. And as I ground myself, he will meet me there because the thing is like his system is like, it's looking for somewhere to land. Mm -hmm. And my job as a parent is to give him that place to land. Yeah. Oh, that's such a beautiful visual. Um, Oh, that really touched me. That that last piece there. Um, there's something that you said earlier, Ashley, that I kind of wanted to loop back to. Um, I think it was it's connected to. I'm not sure if it was a client or somebody said to you, "Oh, you get anxious too. Like you get you still get anxiety sometimes." And you were like, "Yes." And I think that really speaks to this piece of that like people feel like the goal is to get rid of anxiety, <laughs> like mm-hmm. as if that was ever going to happen, <laughs> like as if anxiety is ever going to be something that we do not ever experience, right? And what I what I really appreciate about, um, about breath work and about the role of breath in all of this is that, you know, the truth is anxiety is not going anywhere. Like, we are wired for it and we're wired for it with, with a purpose, right? Like the, the purpose of anxiety is to protect us, is to show us when we need to do something um, to, to protect us. Or it, it also helps us focus. It can motivate us, right? Like anxiety is we're wired for it with a purpose. Obviously, sometimes though, it surpasses its level of helpfulness and it goes into a zone where it can lead to paralysis or 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 fighting or fleeing from something that we don't we really don't need to be fleeing. Um, and so what I appreciate about the role of breath is that it can create this pause or this space between stimulus and response where we can actually turn towards our anxiety and and be curious about what data it's trying to offer us, right? Like, hey, anxiety, what are you trying to tell me here is it feels threatening, right? Or what are you trying to tell me here feels important or that I need to be focusing on? Like what, what data are you, are you trying to offer me here? And there's, there may be helpful data in there and then there may be lots of extras, right? That, that we don't actually need to be worried about or to feel anxiety around, but breath helps create that pause and that space between that's the, whatever the stimulus was and how we are going to respond. That's one of the main reasons, you know, I love it. And there was a saying that I first heard when I joined a 12-step program many years ago when I got sober. And I always thought this was so interesting and it really applies to what we're talking about now. And kind of the adage is like for every year that you're sober, you get 
in every kind of, you know, 12 step community will do this, say this differently, but the kind of the, the idea is for every year that you, you're sober, you get like one, like half a second of pause time. Mm. Right. And so you add that up. And so let's say like your 10 years sober, you get how many like little quick seconds of pause before you, you know, take whatever the action is. And yeah. Really what we're, and the breath is very similar. So it's this idea that like, as we practice and as you cultivate practice, which for me is one of the main main things that I like really drive home with my clients and students is just like practice, practice, practice. And that doesn't mean practice has to be perfect. It doesn't, and it can look all different ways, but that consistency is key. And we've got to show up and do this thing as often as possible so that it can help us rewire our systems. And so that it can be a tool that we can actually use and we can remember that we have it. Right. Because in those moments when, you know, we have the anxiety or we're having, you know, the feeling or the stress or the anger or whatever the thing is, or the fear, or the jealousy, who knows, like just you name it, all the myriad of feelings and emotions that we'll have. We want to be able to, like you said, take that pause and we can't take the pause unless we have a practice. Right. You know, and I'll, I'll talk to people and they're like, okay, well, I, I, I did breath work once and like, it's not really working. I'm still super stressed. And I'm like, okay, well, let's just like take a beat. Yeah. And why don't you try practicing, you know, as many times as like try to do it 10 minutes or seven minutes a day for two weeks and then let me know how that goes. And they're like, oh, when I practice, something happens. Because it's just like what I was saying before with my son and really giving him a place to land. It's the same thing as practice. That is our touchstone. And if we don't have a practice, we don't have any reserve. And we also don't have this like somatic imprint and the information in our body to draw on when we need to. Well, it makes so much sense because what we are maybe so used to doing is having whatever the automatic response is that we do when we do feel triggered or something shows up, right? But and so, and then we can't just expect that in that moment we can turn to certain kind of breathing or breath work and expect it to work, right? In the sense that, like, we haven't put the practice in, we haven't built that new muscle response, right? Yeah. Um, and and yeah, and and in the reserves, right? It's sort of like the practice is almost like depositing in a bank, and when you really need it and you need to pull out from the savings, you can because you've put the practice in. And so um, what I'm hearing you say is that this is something that, that we, we really have to incorporate into our a daily practice of it, um, not just when we need it most. Yeah. If, I mean, if you want to have the full benefits and that's what I always say, it's like, whatever you get in is what you're going to, whatever you put in is whatever you're going to get out. Right? right. And so the more we put, like you're saying, I love the I always love like money and bank analogies. <laughs> it's like however much you want to deposit is great because, you know, when we look at our lives and I see this a lot, especially with, you know, there's so much like, and I'm not, there's like zero judgment here at all. Like I've had, I've done all kinds of different things with food over the years, but you know, yeah. people will talk a lot about like caffeine and caffeine and it's like, okay, well you're having all this caffeine, but what are you, like, what rest are you putting in your bank? You know, and at some point you're going to just continue to overdraw your account. If you're tired every day and you continue to have caffeine, like what's happening there? You're going into, you're going into negative. And it's the same thing with this, with the breath. It's like, just put a little bit in, make a little deposit. And on those days when you need to like, just empty out your account, you can, but then just be sure when you have the time and when you've got the space to just replenish and replenish. Mm. And it, it really does work that way. Yeah. Uh well, Ashley, we're coming to the end of our time today. And one, just thank you so much for for taking the time and being able to say yes to this now and 
And I just have so much respect for when you said no and how you said no and why you said no. And I knew that the universe would create the space for us to do this when it was actually right. And I'm so glad that that time was now. And I'm just so grateful to you in, in being able to show up for for me and for the Holding Space podcast audience today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Cassidy. It was my pleasure and feelings of gratitude are mutual. And then where can people find you if they'd like to continue to follow your work or to read your stuff or to hear more from you? So you can follow me along at Instagram. It's just Ashley underscore niece. And you can also find me at my website, www.ashleyneese.com. Awesome. Thank you so much, Ashley. You've been listening to Holding Space Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the information that was shared in this episode. If you did, you might want to subscribe and be the first to hear about future episodes as soon as they air. Thank you so much for sharing this space with me. Have a great day.